This week, the other side of Christmas mummering in Newfoundland. Violence, religious tension, and death. I'm Glenn Wheeler, and this is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. This is episode 202 of Mi'kmaq Matters, made possible by listener support. Patreon.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters or e-transfer Mi'kmaq.matters at gmail.com. people are written out of the official tourism picture of Newfoundland and Labrador. You've seen those TV ads. Brightly colored houses and some outport, occasionally a view of downtown St. John's. Some reference to the land at the edge of the world. There's a vaguely Celtic feel to it all. We could be on the west coast of Ireland rather than in a province with Beothic and Mi'kmaq history. But say what you like, The ads do the trick, attracting those older, retired couples on car trips, latter-day discoverers of some unknown world. Of course, fantasy and advertising go hand-in-hand, which brings us to the Mummers Festival that took place in November and early this month in St. John's, complete with a Mummers Parade, an attempt to extend the tourism season and ease the financial pain of the pandemic. Lighthearted fun with people in outlandish costumes and having quirky fun. The real story about mummering or jannying is a little more complicated and far from positive. In the 1800s, outdoor mummering was often accompanied by drinking, violence, and in some cases, death. It often was a feature of the sectarian tension in Newfoundland at that time. A Catholic underclass using the occasion to act out against the better-off establishment, in most cases, Protestant. The antisocial activities associated with mummering led the authorities to ban the activity. Mummering, the myth and the reality. And what is lost when we disguise the past in gauzy tourist fluff? Our guest this week is Joy Fraser a member of the adjunct faculty at the Department of Folklore at Memorial University in St. John's. Hello, Joy, and uh, thanks for joining us from uh, Edinburgh. And glad you got uh, back to Scotland for the holidays after uh, after a break there because of the current situation. So uh, great to have you with us uh, today. Thank you very much, and thank you for inviting me. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about... Um, the phenomenon of uh, of mummering or mumming or janning, as it's uh, variously known, in uh, in Newfoundland, and um, it's uh, the tradition and the uh, and the current meanings and the and the gaps between, uh, we might say. So, um, Joy, as someone who's uh, who studied this, uh, can you tell us briefly where the tradition came from? So the tradition of mumming or mummering or jannying as it's practiced in Newfoundland and Labrador still today would obviously have been influenced primarily by uh, similar traditions that take place in Ireland and in England uh, being the main 
places where European settlers arrived from uh, to Newfoundland and Labrador um, in the 18th and 19th centuries. So those would be the main influences on the tradition in, in Newfoundland today. Uh, it is just one example of a great many similar traditions that take place in many different cultures all around the world. Um, the most general term for them, I guess, would be to, to describe them as seasonal masking or disguising traditions. So they're traditions or customs or rituals that take place at particular points of the year. And very typically, it will be around Christmas time or also we're probably all familiar with um, the kinds of disguising traditions that happen at Halloween as well. So mm. those kinds of traditional points of the year are often seen as very special times when lots of special folk traditions happen and they're seen as being this kind of very porous boundary between our everyday world and perhaps other worlds like the supernatural world mm. so lots of interesting kind of boundary crossing traditions and behaving in ways that you wouldn't normally behave in for the rest of the year so um, customs that take place at these special times of year very often involve kind of symbolic forms of reversal which we can see very clear clearly in mummering because cross-dressing uh, in the um, in the mummering context in in Newfoundland there's so culturally approved deviance we might say things that are okay on that occasion but would not be okay outside that uh, tradition Yes, exactly. And as well as the cross-dressing, you know, there's very much a tradition in the costumes to wear your underwear outside your outerwear. So yes. there's that kind of reversal as well. Yes. And um, also this idea of, of mummers being symbolic strangers. Um, this is very behaving very differently to how you would normally behave in a lot of the outport communities um, because people would never normally knock on each other's doors you know and mm. ask to be let in whereas the mummers would come and they would knock on the door and then another kind of reversal they they typically breathe ingressively um or speak ingressively so while you're breathing in normally you speak while you're breathing out but here the mummers would say um i'll try and do it now Any so talking yes. while they're while they're breathing in, so that's another reversal, and then asking to be let in, very different from the way that you would typically behave. And there is this idea of of mummers as as what we might call kind of liminal characters, so um, figures that are kind of betwixt and between the re the everyday world and some kind of other world as well. Very typical of of traditions that take place at these special times. Yes. Now you mentioned. Uh the going from uh, house to house uh, in small communities in, in Newfoundland. And you talk about two kinds of mummering in Newfoundland, the, that outport uh, indoor kind of mummering, and also the, the outdoor, the parade. And it's about the, about the parade that I wanted to speak to you more about because it, it's kind of embedded in uh, various of the tensions in Newfoundland in the 1800s in terms of class, uh, religion, etc. And uh, so we had this um, phenomenon of the parade, which uh, I guess happened uh, during the Christmas holiday season, perhaps on January 1st, or at some point during the holidays, perhaps, a parade. And uh, I understand from your papers that it would be typically 
uh, it, these parades will be dominated by, by men, perhaps more than women, and perhaps by younger men and who have perhaps had done a considerable amount of drinking. So it, uh, this was a celebratory occasion uh, with an edge of, um, with an edge of, uh, of violence, uh, with an edge of, uh, of prejudice, because uh, uh, the, there was the, the class system there was, uh, was Catholic, um, the poorer people and the Protestants uh, uh, richer. So uh, I guess the, the outdoor mummering um, is part of a very complicated um, list of factors in Newfoundland at that time. Yes, exactly. And the outdoor forms of, of mummering, whether it's that kind of formal procession or parade that um, was taking place in St. John's in the city itself, or some of the other kinds of outdoor mummering that were taking place in some of the other, you know, somewhat large communities in the Conception Bay area, for example, they, I'm not sure if they actually had a formal parade or procession as such but from the evidence that I've been looking at they did have a lot of this other kind of outdoor mummering which was folklorist Herbert Halpert describes it as undirected wandering so just kind of wandering about the streets Mm. and yes probably having had quite a bit to drink and the thing is with the indoor mummering which took place in more of the smaller communities um, uh, these smaller communities sort of had pretty much quite egalitarian social relations that govern sort of the family fishery in those smaller communities, whereas in those the larger communities like St. John's and some of the communities in Conception Bay, um, there would be much more sort of social stratification. So these class tensions coming in and yes, there would have been, you know, um, Catholics and Protestants mixing together in the same communities. So again, folklorists look at this quite a lot with these kinds of traditions that take place at particular points of the year that they very often become kind of like uh, a release of like a kind of pressure valve if you like the tensions that might build up throughout the year and then they find this kind of release in the kinds of abnormal uh, boundary crossing behaviours that take place as part of these traditions. So um, with all kinds of mummering, I think you see this kind of tension between the idea that mummering sort of fosters a social cohesion and solidarity but at the same time there's kind of this weird way that it also challenges social relations and disrupts you know behavioral norms and that oftentimes that's kind of balanced on a knife edge so sometimes it's a way to sort of violate norms of everyday behavior without really jeopardizing the social Mm. relations but then sometimes as in this urban kind of mummering it actually like kind of crosses over into not so much ritualized violence if you like but actual violence and this is the case in a lot of the research that I've been doing which is really based in the middle decades of the 19th century when the custom really in these larger communities seems to have become associated with this sort of tradition of uh, criminality, antisocial behaviour that actually attracted the attention of the authorities. And there were, um, there's records of at least 
20, 25 court cases just in those few decades where local men were being brought before the courts and uh, accused of committing violent or other antisocial acts while they were disguised as mummers. Yes, well, that's that's a, a good uh, entree for me to ask you about the murder of Isaac Mercer in Bay Roberts. Um, and that was a, a murder that emanated from a... Um, a mummer's event, and you've done a lot of uh, research into that incident, both the incident itself and the coverage, the discourse about the event. Um, tell us a little bit about the the murder of Isaac Mercer. Yeah, so I, I tend to refer to it as a, as a fatal assault rather than a murder, because in my opinion, it probably wasn't a premeditated thing, although mm. many of the, the newspapers and the, the politicians at the time you know, very much tried to present it in that way that it was this kind of premeditated murder by these wicked demonic uh, mummers, you know. But Isaac Mercer was, I think he was 29 years old at the time. This was in, at Christmas 1860. Uh, so I think December, December 29th, I think it was, 1860 in the community of Bay Roberts in Conception Bay. And he and two of his relatives, brothers-in-law of his, I think they were, were kind of walking home that evening through the centre of Bay Roberts and they encountered six other local men who were disguised as mummers and to basically an, a, an altercation ensued and um, Mercer and his two companions were quite badly beaten up and Mercer received a blow to the head which turned out to be fatal he died from that wound um, the next morning and so this was obviously kind of the culmination of this escalating tradition of violence surrounding the custom and it really spurred the authorities to take some action against the custom itself. So as you can imagine, they were thinking that the violence around this custom was getting out of hand. And so um, the following year, the uh, Newfoundland legislature enacted a law that required anyone who wanted to participate in the custom had to obtain a numbered license uh, from the magistrates, I think, and they had to display that numbered license on their costume. But that was not very effective because a lot of people, I think, just didn't bother getting a license and just did the custom anyway. So um, so the, the year after that, which was 1862, they actually enacted a ban, an outright ban on the custom. And um, it was illegal to just be out on the street with a disguise over your face um, and you could you could receive a fine, or if you if you didn't pay the fine, you could be imprisoned for however many days. And this law was actually never sort of formally repealed. I think it kind of just kind of quietly dropped off the statute books around the 1980s or something. So, uh, by which point, of course, the custom had had essentially been. It kind of dwindled in popularity and then it had very much started to become revived again with the interest of folklorists and anthropologists sort of beginning to study the tradition. And that actually prompted people, you know, in the province to get more interested in the tradition themselves, you know, because they thought, oh, maybe we've got something special here because 
folklorists and other scholars are interested in studying us, you know. Mm. Um, and so then we had we had kind of uh, this this, if you like, revival of the tradition. Um, at which point it was still technically illegal. <laughs> so I think that's probably why it, why the ban quietly dropped off the statute books around mm. that time. Well, let me let me ask you about that because you refer into uh, the commodification of uh, of mummering. Um, and other uh, traditions as a kind of as a tourist, uh, as a tourist product, I guess, murmuring as a tourist product. And I note that in St. John's um, uh, earlier this month, uh, in November, November into December, there was a, a mummers festival, uh, an outdoor event where people got dressed up in their costumes, uh, outlandish costumes, disguises. And it was a kind of uh, cheery, um, joyous occasion. And um, uh, one doesn't want to get in the way of uh, joy and celebration, or in uh, in the to hurt the tourism industry in Newfoundland, which has you know suffered quite enough. But I wonder about the uh, what it does to our knowledge about the actual tradition, because it's a little bit misleading. Um, here we have, for example, in the uh, Mummers uh, Festival in St. John's, uh, recently we have a lot of women and children. Uh, whereas I would think in Bay Roberts uh, in the 1800s, uh, if you were a woman out at night and got in the way of uh, these group of uh, men, you might uh, your safety might be in question. It might have been a, a much more negative, malevolent experience. So what do we lose in our knowledge of the actual tradition uh, when we commodify in this way? Oh, so that's actually a really interesting point and there's there's so much to say kind of in response to that um uh just just the point about um you know the the women and children uh and whether they would have been you know participating in the custom in in 19th century bay roberts and similar communities in my more recent research, I've actually discovered from some of the sources that uh, the kinds of mummering that were taking place in some of these larger communities were actually much more diverse than I had thought. So in a lot of the court cases, you kind of get the idea that the mummers were mostly men and they were mostly just doing this kind of outdoor wandering um, version of the tradition but we actually have some evidence from witness statements that are found uh, in the archives from the Isaac Mercer case that talk about um, uh, there's a great, great quote from the local police constable at the time who says Johnnying, which would be another word obviously related to Jannying, which is another term for, for mummering. So he says Johnnying or mummering is a common thing around there at Christmas time. Great numbers go out, men, women and children out by day and night, but principally at night. They are principally boys and girls and go into houses, mostly amusing themselves, dancing. Very often they have no weapon at all, but sometimes a whip stick or old broom uh, that they would use to beat people and things but um, I think we can see from that that there was actually quite a lot of different kinds of mumming 
traditions going on even within a community like Bay Roberts at that time so I think it was like quite quite diverse probably the outdoor stuff was more male dominated and more associated with the kind of violence that would happen whereas the the indoors was this kind of convivial dancing and and whatnot and maybe not as not as uh uh, much effort put into disguising your identity, which of course is a way to sort of cover yourself if you're going to commit some kind of crime mm. or whatever. So, so it's interesting to to note that that's something that's sort of I've kind of come to realise as my research has progressed that maybe that distinction between the urban and the rural uh, was types of mummering were not was not so clear cut as what I had initially thought and what some other researchers have thought about this. Um, the other thing I would say, we very often think about when traditions get revived or commodified that they kind of lose their meaning or that, you know, it kind of distorts our understanding of uh, uh, what that tradition would have been like previously. Um, another way to think about that and how lots of folklorists think about that now is that it all it is is that the meanings of the tradition or the custom shift and evolve um, uh as part of that process of mm. commodification it's it's not that the meaning gets lost it's just that the meaning changes and the context changes and so what is the custom of mummering about in present day St John's and I'm sure other communities in, in Newfoundland and Labrador as well that it is very much about this kind of celebratory having fun getting people involved that wouldn't perhaps have known anything about about the custom previously um lots of workshops now like obviously in years gone by you wouldn't have gone to a workshop to learn mm. how to make a hobby horse which was one of the disguises was you know to, to yes. dress up as as this hobby horse with snapping jaws and things but now you can actually go to a workshop and learn how to make these kinds of things and and i would say as well that i've quite often given talks at the as part of the Mummers Festival, where I do talk about these other aspects of mm. of the tradition in days gone by, and sort of the darker aspects of it as well. So, I think it's just obviously it's very very different. It's it's much more formalized and organized um, in a way that typically folk traditions in these sm smaller communities in the past would have been much more spontaneous, I guess. Mm. But it doesn't make it, I think, any less valid or any less interesting to study. It's just that the meaning has changed and evolved rather than um, being distorted. And, and I think it is maybe a way to actually get more people to learn about the tradition than we'd otherwise have done, which we could look at in a positive way, you know. Joy Fraser, a member of the adjunct faculty at the Department of Folklore, at Memorial University in St. John's. And that's it for the program and for 2021. Thanks for lending us your ears this past 12 months. All the best to you, wherever you are, as we head into the dark months of winter. We'll be back in January. This is Glenn Wheeler, Emson Nogama.